If you have a Bible um, or a phone with you, um, yeah, thank you. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 this evening, and we're going to read verses 1 through to 13. Um, and it's the temptation of Jesus. And what's happened is Jesus has been baptized, and, the, uh, and God has dis- like opened the clouds, and he said, this is my son, um, and the Holy Spirit has descended upon him. And then we pick up the story now in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13, I think it is. Um, and so, Luke, we would be privileged as your final act of service to this church community if you would read aloud um, the Lord's word. Thank you. Cool. Um, Yeah, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by uh, by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he said he was hungry. Uh, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command you. Uh, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike a foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished uh, all the tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ooh, I'm in ordination training, can you tell? I do apologise. Slips out every now and again. Thank you, Luke. Um, for those of you who don't know what ordination training is, I'm training to be a vicar. Um, I'll talk to you about it later. Um, so um, we're in Lent, and as a church family, we are spending the next few weeks of Lent um, in this story, in this moment in Jesus' life, at the beginning of his ministry. In fact, he's not even done anything yet. Um, this is right before he begins doing anything. Um, he's driven into the desert um, by the Holy Spirit. He's led there, and there he's tempted. And um, Tim grew, if you were here last week, did an amazing job at kind of giving us an overview um, of this kind of theme around positive testing. I'd really recommend if you weren't here, or if anything like me, you've got an attention like a goldfish, um, go back and listen to it, because it's, it's a really good um, umbrella within which these talks for the next couple of weeks are like the spokes, if that makes sense. So it really helps to connect um, with whatever I say or whatever anybody else says over the next couple of weeks. And tonight in this story, we're going to look at the, um, the first test. So we're going to focus on um, the first four verses particularly. And um, I don't know about you, but when I did my GCSEs, I didn't do very well. Um, when I was 15 years old, 16 years old, I think that's how, is that how old you are when you do the GCSEs? I'm looking at six formers around the room who are, you've just finished them, well done. Um, the uh, history exam for me was the one I was least looking forward to. Because if I was honest, when I did my options in year 10, I didn't actually really like history. I didn't do history because I thought it was an interesting subject. It was just all my mates were doing it. And, uh, and it was either geography, where, my, where none of my mates were, 
uh, or history where all of my mates were. So I chose history. What that meant was during the GCSE years, I didn't really focus. I didn't really listen. The, the teacher, if, if you ever find this, uh, Mr. Darnell, I do apologise for being an absolute shoddy student during your teaching. Um, and it came to the point where about six weeks before the exam, it felt that close, it might have been a bit further away, but it felt that close. My teacher, in all his wisdom, said to me, Tim, you're, you're not going to pass if you do the higher paper, which is what everyone was doing. Um, I recommend that you do the, low, the lower paper. So there was two papers. Now, follow me, okay, on this. When I entered into the exam room, the way in which the exam was situated was that the, answer, the, the paper that I had to write the answers in was already printed. And so I saw all the questions to the higher paper and all the questions to the lower paper, but I had to, because my name was printed on the, on the answer sheet, I could only answer the lower paper questions. Guess what I'd accidentally revised? I crammed hard for all of the higher paper questions. And I was sat there, like, in a straitjacket of my own doing, and I was like, I'm going to fail this test. I'm not going to succeed. I'm going to get a U, and I'm going to really hope that I pass a couple more tests in order to get into college. And, um, and so I just sat there. The, the best I could do was to write some random dates that I thought were, like, fairly relevant about World War I, and write my name and hope to the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved me dearly, that I'd pass. Um, and I didn't. I failed. I failed the test. And the reason why I failed the test was because I was ill-equipped. Uh, I didn't do the work that was needed. I didn't do the things that I was told to do. I thought I could do it all myself. I took it in on my own ability. I thought, I, could, I got this GCSE bite size. Thank you very much. Um, I've got this. I'll nail this. I chose not to listen, I chose to do things my own way, and ultimately I got myself in a real mess and I failed the test. I wonder, those of us who are in the room tonight, you know, what tests we're going through. It might not be a GCSE exam, but there might be tests that are going on in this room, in your life. Um, it could genuinely be in the next couple of weeks you've got exams, you've got end of years or you've got mocks or you've got A-levels that are kind of going to decide if you get into Oxford or Cambridge or that Russell Group University that your parents desperately want you to get into. It might be um, that actually it's not exams but it's a test of trust. Maybe you just feel like you need to leave your job. Maybe um, it's a test of trust because actually you've been hurt in the past because of relationships, and you need to trust someone for the first time in a long time, and that's hard. Um, maybe it's not a test of trust. Maybe it's a financial test. We're in a cost of living crisis still. Um, that, that's still looming over us, and the bills don't add up. You know, the, the, we're on a standard tariff now, and I wasn't expecting that. And maybe there's a financial test that you're going through. Maybe, maybe the income doesn't match the outgoing. Maybe you're really looking forward to race week, actually, because it means that there's horse racing every day and that addiction to betting that you wish no one would look at gives you an opportunity to chase the losses. Maybe it's not a financial test. Maybe it's a relational test. Maybe, um, you know, you've got a girlfriend. You've got a boyfriend. Um, they're attractive. 
It's physical stuff that you know you've been doing that you shouldn't be doing. It's a test. You know, you keep the, cl- the door closed when you think it should really be open. Um, maybe it's not actually a relationship with the person, but it's a relationship with your di- digital device. Maybe it's late at night. You're there alone and you think, actually, do you know what? I'll just go on you porn, porn hub or whatever it's called because actually I can delete my history and it'll be fine and I'll just masturbate because that's okay and no one's looking. So maybe it's not a relationship with the person, but maybe it's a relationship with intimacy that's slightly a test right now and you feel like you need to pass a test, but you feel like you're failing in whatever way it is. And so the question then, for whatever the test is, whatever it is that we're going through, whatever it is, whether it's a GCXE exam or the financial test or a relational test or a future test or a test that's now, the question that we have maybe is how do we pass the test? How do we get through? How do we get a good grade? How do we pass the test? And so to help us, um, we're going to look at a past paper. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, and we're going to just look at it and consider it as a past paper. And we're going to see how someone else passed the test, actually, and to see if there's anything we can learn to help us in our test, whatever it is. So the first thing I want to say is that um, in these verses, and let me just read them again, and we're going to take them, there's just three things that I want to pull out. So verse 1 to 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. So there's this test that goes on. The devil tests Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, turn these big rocks into bread rolls. If you are the son of God, turn these stones, tell them to become bread. So it's a a question, it's a task, it's a test that the devil asks Jesus to do. And what I want to do is just take three things out of the thing that the devil says to Jesus. And the first thing that I think the devil says by saying this, by challenging Jesus in this way, is Jesus, will you be one who is self-served? Will you be one who is self-served? Now, self-service, right, it's not always bad, okay? It's not always bad. Because self-service can, can, be, it can be called self-care, all right? It, you know, spa days, I love a spa day, you know? Just, you know, just watch a bit of Netflix. Look after yourself. Like, at the end of a stressful day, there's nothing more that I like than to play a bit of FIFA, all right? Bit of a, bit of a career mode, or ultimate team. Parker Palmer um, once said that self-care is never a selfish act. And the reality is, if we don't practice self-care, if we don't practice this sense of self-service, it can lead to self-neglect, which can lead to burnout. And burnout's never good. But there is a bad side, there's a shadow side to self-service. Have you ever been to Tesco and gone to the self-service checkouts? They are annoying. Like the amount of times that I've not put something in my basket but it tells me that I have and I have to call the checkout lady over again and I've been waiting there for ages. 
then it's not good. Self-service isn't good. But also self-service, and that's a silly thing to say, but self-service can lead us to being consumed by our own need. We're consumed by what we need in the moment. Notice Jesus was hungry. And the devil tempts him to say, turn these rocks into bread. He needs it. He's hungry. And sometimes the danger of self-service is that our relationship with God can begin to become this sense of, well, God exists just to make me happy. That the goal of life is just to live a good life and be a happy life. And actually God's role in that is to make me feel good. Because that's what I need. Um, at home, um, we have a fridge. You'll be, you'll be glad to know. And um, when Liz does the food shop, she always buys my favourite yoghurts. Okay? And my favourite yoghurts are crunchy corners. Ooh, I love a good crunchy corner. But not only just the crunchy corners, it's that particular packet, right? Now, what annoys me about Muller is that they don't do a six-pack of the banana chocolate flakes. Right? Yeah, right? Because that's my favourite one in that packet, right? Now, I grew up in a home. I had four older sisters. and when, We didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up. And when my mum and dad did a food shop, all the good chocolate was in the fridge for about two days. And it was like first come, first serve, right? So that kind of muscle memory is still in me. So Liz buys these. And the problem I've got is that I'm not the only one in the house that likes the banana chocolate flakes. Melissa also likes the banana chocolate flakes. But if I'm really honest, I can be consumed by my own need. And I will eat them all before Melissa. And she complained to me the other day and she said, I always get the vanilla pods always left to, my, like, to me. I always, the vanilla chocolate balls are the ones that I always like, end up with. I'm not happy about it. And I say that <laughs> um, just to say I can become consumed by my own need. And so the question here is, am I going to be self-serving? Am I, in the, in the test that I'm currently facing, am I going to live to serve myself? Because here, Jesus, he could have been like, do you know what? I'm hungry. I've eaten nothing for 40 days. The pain in my stomach deserves to be met with some bread. And that's a pretty good idea, actually, Satan, to turn these rocks into bread. Because why wait for anybody else to cook up some bread? I'll cook it myself. And I'll probably do a better job anyway because my name is Jesus. But instead, Jesus says, it is written. It is written. And what he's doing there is he's quoting Old Testament scripture. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8 verses 3. And in that moment, he recognizes, no, actually, hang on a minute. This moment in my, in my life, this test, it's, it's not just about me. It's connected to a larger story. It's not just me in this world. There's something else going on. There's something greater than myself that I'm here to attend to. It is written. He ties himself to the story of Israel, to, to that whole thing. So the key point here is that the test that Jesus faces is to be consumed by himself, to be consumed by his own need. But his answer is that he's actually connected to something larger than himself and greater than his present moment. It's not about him. He's here to serve and save the lost. His name literally means Yahweh saves, God saves. He's not here for himself. He's here for others. So, 
Will we be people who are self-serving? The second thing that Jesus says as a response to the devil's testing, to Satan's testing, is man shall not live on bread alone, right? So Jesus answers, it is written, man shall not. Now, in that, the the devil's temptation, the first thing is, will you be self-serving? The second thing I want to suggest that the enemy is trying to do here is he's trying to ask this question, Jesus, will you be the one who is self-important? So will you be the one who is self-servant? Will you be the one who is self-important? Now, again, this sense of self-importancy, or, or is that even a word? Self being self-important, or self-entitled as one might call it, right? It's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it can be good, okay? Because rights are good. We're entitled to the right of education. We're entitled to equal pay. We're entitled to certain things, and that's good, And actually, entitlement can lead to creativity, people pushing boundaries. The um, Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, which is a mouthful in itself, says this. I haven't got the quote on the screen, so just listen. It says, when people feel more entitled, they will think and act differently than others. And the more they do so, the more willing and capable they are to generate creative solutions. If it wasn't for entitlement, you wouldn't have Netflix. Just think about it. Does anyone remember Blockbuster? Right? You had to literally go out on a Friday night in the middle of the pouring rain and view all the films and hope not only that your film was there, but it was ready to be rented because someone else hadn't got it because they only had three copies. It was annoying, right? Now you've got Netflix. Someone thought, no, actually, those rules are not for me. And so the first change that Netflix did was they changed it into a DVD postal service. So you'd fill out all your genre likes, and Adam's like, yeah, I remember that, right? And it would come through the post, and then you'd send it back. Hopefully it wasn't scratched, you wouldn't get a charge. And then they finally scrapped DVDs and started streaming things. So entitlement's good. Sometimes it can lead to creativity and push boundaries where they need to be pushed, right? But there's a shadow side also. Because when we get entitled, when we have this sort of inflated ego, this kind of self-importance, we can get defensive when others... Ask us questions. We can become that person who like always knows. They're like the fount of all knowledge. You're like a walking Wikipedia. Or, or, or like you end up micromanaging people at work or you get involved in everybody's problems because you think that you have all the answers. This, this sense of self-importance is actually not such a great thing. Um, I've had many jobs in my life and one of them was working at West Midland Safari Park. Um, it's not as glamorous as it sounds. In the summer, I basically parked cars. And um, there was a system. We had a system, guys. Don't break the system. And we had a way in which we parked all of these vehicles on the fields. And, um, and we were parking this one zone. And so the flow of traffic was coming up to us. And I saw it from the bottom of the hill, this big Range Rover, blacked out windows. And I thought, oh, here, here comes a test, right? Here comes someone who feels like they're a bit self-important, self-entitled, they're not going to follow the flow of the traffic, they've got a four-by-four, they'll drive where they want, they'll park where they want. And that happened. They drove up the hill and they completely ignored my high-vis jacket and my lovely waving and just parked. And I I marched over and went, who on earth do you think you are? And wind down the window, do you know who it was? Some of you may know this, Elliot Bonds, if you don't know who this is, you're not a proper footballer, my friend. Because this is who it was, it was Gareth Barry. There he is, Premier League legend, played for Man City, West Brom, Aston Villa. 
he's not a very good footballer. Um, he looked at me square in the eye and was like, what, like not, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't say, like, don't you know who I am? But you could see it on his face. And I just, I couldn't be bothered with the conflict. And I just thought, yeah, do you know what? You part where you want, mate. You do what you want. And um, so sometimes we can bump into that, that sense of self-importance. And it's in us. It's in all of us. It's in me at times. And so are, are we going to be people who are self-important? Because here Jesus was asked that question in that test, I think. And Jesus could have been like, actually, yeah, do you know what? I'm fully human and fully God. Like, I've just dominated a 40-day fast and I do deserve some bread. And not just any bread, I'm going to get me one of them sourdoughs from Boulangerie. Yeah, preach. It's good bread. But instead, Jesus says, man shall not. Not God shall not. Man shall not. Philippians says he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In the moment, he's tested. Will you be self-important? Will you be self-entitled? But by, tur- by not turning big rocks into bread rolls, Jesus doesn't make a name for himself, but instead he stays true to his name. Jesus saves. So, will you be self-served? Will you be self-important? And the third and final thing in, in the temptation here, in the test that Jesus experiences, this first one, is this question, will you be self-nourished? Will you be self-served? Will you be self-important? Will you be one who is self-nourished? And again, self-nourishment, it's, it's not such a bad thing. It's got its good sides, right? Self-sustainability, the, se- the sense of planting something and it would self-nourish itself, right? Has anyone else seen Clarkson's Farm Season 2? Yeah? You know what I'm talking about in terms of the chicken feed and there's a sense of self-sustainability in that, right? The eco, kind of renewable energy, it's good. You know, I'm, I'm a parent now, I'm a dad of my daughter, Poppy, who's amazing, and one of my favourite things to do is cheer her on when she becomes independent. When she doesn't need to do something, I don't need to do something for her. Where she, she walked for herself for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And it was amazing. I'm like, yes, go on girl. You know, Gen Alpha, so anybody that was born in 2010 and beyond, so they're like 12 years old now, they're thought to be the most um, equipped generation to make change. They've got so many tools available to them to make a change in the world. They could be self-nourished if they wanted to. There is literally an app for everything. But in being self-nourished, there's a shadow side. And the shadow side is this idea of like, we, we actually fear vulnerability. We, we limit its ability to actually enact the change that we need. We, we fear this idea that we need other people. And actually, we try and do everything ourselves. So that's a shadow side to this idea of being self-nourished. It has its good sides, but it can lead us to this idea that we're all right on our own. When I was 17 years old, um, I, uh, I went through a real bout of loneliness. And so for three months, I didn't leave the house. Um, and at that time, mental health wasn't really talked about a lot. But if it was, I think I would have gone to a GP and they would have diagnosed me with depression retrospectively in hindsight, I think that's probably a safe thing to say. 
And, um, and it was not good. And the reason that sort of like, one of the things that perpetuated the problem was I knew that I wasn't okay. I knew that I was experiencing this deep loneliness, but I was fearful to let anybody help me. I didn't want anybody to help me. I wanted to sort it out myself. I wanted to self-nourish myself to fix the problem that I was in. I feared the vulnerability. And so it was this sort of self-perpetuating... It was a cycle. (laughs) It was a cycle. I was lonely. I needed help, but I didn't want somebody to help me. And so therefore I was more lonely. And so the cycle went on. It was vicious. It wasn't good. I didn't want to rely on anyone else to fix my problem. And so here Jesus is asked the question in a way, are you going to be one who is self-nourishing? And Jesus could have been like, do you know what? Yeah, I'm pretty powerful. I've got the ability to provide for myself. And I can turn those big rocks into bread rolls. But instead he quotes Deuteronomy and he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on the word that comes from God, it says in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Jesus knew that he was to live not by the bread that he could place within his own mouth, but from the word that comes from the mouth of his father. Man shall not live on bread alone. And so in these three things, in this past paper, those are the questions that I think show up. Question number one, Jesus, will you be someone who is self-served? Question number two, will you be one who is self-important? Question number three, will you be one who is self-nourished? And how does that help us? How, how, when the rubber hits the road, in the tests that we're all going through, how does that help us? Well, as I come into land, um, I was praying just this afternoon, just like, God, what on earth is it in all of this Like, boil it down. What's the simple thing? What's the one thing? And I just sensed him say to me, Tim, just stressed, just stress the importance of having my word impressed upon our hearts. Just stress the importance of having my word impressed upon your heart. My word impressed upon your heart. His word impressed upon my heart. His word impressed upon your heart. That was it. That was the thing. Jesus, in response to the temptation, he quotes from Deuteronomy, verse 8. Chapter 8, sorry, verse 3. And he says, he says this in, in there. Um, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. It says, he humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors has known, to teach you, here it is, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. On every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In another gospel, um, In the Gospel of John, at the beginning of John 1, uh, John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, 
And through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hath not come overcome it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then later on in verse 14, the Gospel writer of John says that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Impress the importance of my word, Tim, on your heart. And then in Revelation 19, verse 13, it says this, He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. Stress the importance of impressing my word upon your hearts. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. And the word here is, and I know I'm mixing metaphors here a little bit, but what I think is, I'm trying to stress is that the word is Jesus, right? It's a very simple thing, but the word is Jesus. The way we pass the test is by depending on Jesus, who not only speaks the very words of God, but who is the word. He already knows the answers because he is the answer. He already knows the way because he is the way, and he already passed the test so that we can too. He is the way. And so I guess the invitation and challenge tonight is that the importance of all this, how do we pass the test? How, how do we get through whatever it is that we're going through? And by looking at this past paper, my answer is simple, really, and yet so hard, is to depend on Jesus. He is the word. He is the answer. He is the way. Um, and I don't know what that looks like for you to depend on Jesus, to, to, to come to Jesus with your test. But can I just merely suggest, and this is a challenge to me as well, I'll, I'll hold my hand up and say, if that, if, it, if, oh, if, if that looks like coming here on a Sunday and singing some songs and half listening to a sermon as best you can, it's not going to be enough to sustain you for the battle. It's not going to be enough. It's not enough for me to sustain me in the tests. It's not enough. And so we need to come to him daily in some way, shape or form. And, and so the questions that I think come out of this, this past paper, I think, you know, we can ask ourselves in a way I, I want to suggest, you know, will, will, will we be the one who is self-served? Or will we come to Jesus and be connected to something bigger than ourselves that isn't about us? Will we be one who is self-important or will we come to Jesus and give ourselves to make him famous? Will we, come, will we be ones who are self-nourished or will we come to Jesus who has actually attained everything that we need for us? So the question for us then that lingers is will 
we copy his work? Will we trust his answers? Will we come to Jesus?